Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you spoke to us clearly. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, our work in our lives through your word and preparing us for our eternity with you. So please use these moments now to shape us. Give us humble and submissive hearts, ready to repent and to turn from our sins and quick to cling to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 121. Uh, Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent, as the title says. And so it was sung by pilgrims as they went to worship to Jerusalem. Three times a year, Moses commanded the the male uh, population of Israel to go to Jerusalem to worship God as as an assembly. As believers... We are also pilgrims, aren't we? We're not going to Jerusalem, but we're going to the new Jerusalem. Or as uh, John Bunyan put it in the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, we have turned our backs on the city of destruction and we're heading to the celestial city. It is good to remember uh, those things, to be reminded that we are on a journey, uh, that we have left things behind, that we are going somewhere, and that we have not yet arrived. Life as a pilgrim is not easy. And 2,000 years ago, it was certainly not easy when there was no public transport, no tarmac roads, and so on. There were dangers from thieves. There were dangers from wild beasts. There were dangers because of the distance you had to travel or because of ill health. And our walk with God is not easy either. We live in a sinful world. We've been reminded about it in the recent plebiscite. We see it around us at work. We see it around us in our families and in our homes. In actual fact, we see it also in ourselves, don't we? Our worst enemy is often ourself. So how can we be sure? How can we be sure that we will persevere along the road? How can we be sure that we will reach the new Jerusalem. Where will our help come from? This is what the verse, the question of verse 1 says. Where will our help come from? We lift up our eyes to the hills. Jerusalem was at the top of a hill. And where does our help come from? How will we manage to sustain the journey? And verse 2 answers, gives us the answer. Our help will come from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Our help comes from God. He is the all-powerful creator. He created all things. He's the owner and the designer of the world. And he is the sovereign over history. So it's a, verse 2 is a wonderful promise to treasure in our hearts. It's important to learn that verse as we begin our journey in Christ. Uh, as we begin our pilgrimage, before trials and difficulties arise, because trials and difficulties will arise. But this verse will help us go on. This verse will help us stand. You're not to count on your own strength to complete the pilgrimage. Sin, sin's hold on you is much too strong. <clears throat> our flesh is corrupt and deceptive. 
You mustn't trust in yourself, in your own strength, but you must trust in God. If you trust in yourself, you will be disappointed. Trust in God. Now, verse 2 doesn't make our immediate trials or difficulties easier, do they? When we go through difficulties, just saying to yourself, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, doesn't take them away. The trials are still there. And it's easy to say those verses, my help comes from the Lord, when everything is going well, when you're young, a young believer, that you still have, a, uh, your step is full of spring. But life is not a gentle walk, a gentle stroll in green pastures next to peaceful waters. It doesn't, it goes through those places, but it's not a constant gentle stroll. We face trials and difficulties that test our faith. Our life takes us to places that we weren't expecting. We may face infertility. We may face loss of mobility. We may face constant chronic pain. And in those situations, it can be tempting to change our principles <clears throat> in line with what's happening in society. Uh, there's an easy escape. We've changed the laws. It's now lawful to do these things. Or the pressure of society around us makes it easier for us to just lower our standards. For others, you may be wondering where your next meal will come from for your kids. Where will you find the food to put on your table and feed them? Or how will you manage to afford keeping up with the rent that's constantly going up and up and up? Or the electricity bill that goes up? Or you may have an unexpected medical bill to pay and you just don't know where the money will come from to pay for those things. And the temptation would be to take a shortcut. I'll work extra shifts. I'll work on a weekend because it's a better pay. The same thing happens also in Christian work. You can do it at home or in Christian ministry. You make good plans. You follow principles that are wise and godly. But suddenly everything crashes down and it, you are felt, you are left very perplexed. Is God with us or is God against us? Does God, doesn't he see our situation, what we're going through? And if he does see, does he understand our needs? And if he does see and understands our needs, does he actually care? I'd like to give you an illustration, an example from the mission organization I worked for in Chad. It was an orphanage, and it's a very small organization. Uh, they were, we were always overloaded, short-staffed, uh, to look after all the work that was going on. And it was very hard to find people that were godly, uh, capable, trained and willing to go to the border of the Sahara Desert to run this orphanage. But there was one girl, a teenage girl, who was very motivated, very keen to join us. But she never made it. She flown into Jemena, and on her journey between Jemena and Abishi, uh, she was involved in a car accident, a lorry 
lost control and crashed into her car. She never made it to the destination. Why? Why does God allow those things? And in those situations, how can I say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? It sounds empty, doesn't it? It sounds cold and inhuman. Now, before we look any further into this, we'll go any further, I want you to notice a very small detail. A very small detail between the change between verses 1 and 2 and the rest of the psalm. Have you noticed that uh, in verses 1 and 2, it talks about I. I lift up my eyes. My help comes from the, hill, from the Lord. And when you go into verse 3, he says, He will not let my foot. No, he doesn't say my foot. He says, He will not let your foot. There's a change in pronoun. And this change in pronoun actually points to, um, uh, points to a change of speaker. Verses 1 and 2, the speaker is a struggling pilgrim. He may be reassuring himself by restating God's promise that he heard from long ago, and he's saying, oh Lord, help me. Help me, I'm going through difficulties. You are my strength. You will help me, you will make me. Uh, continuing this journey or he could be using verse 2 as a mantra to help him to keep him going like a stoic to keep him uh, to brace himself and say okay the Lord is my strength I need to trust in him I will manage to get through all this the tough, when the going gets tough the tough get going well if it is the latter well, that's not the Christian life. That isn't. That is Greek philosophy. It kills joy, and it is trusting in self, not in God. But from verse three, we see a change of program. So there is a change of speakers. There is another pilgrim that joins the first and walks alongside him. He walks alongside him to encourage him, to exhort him to answer perhaps his questions, to help him through the difficulty. Because you see, in the Old Testament, pilgrims never walked alone. As they were going three times a year to Jerusalem, it was the whole village they were walking together. They never had to walk alone, and the same is for the Christian life. God doesn't intend you to do the walk alone. God wants you to walk in community, within, with fellowship. And God's gift to us in times of trials is a fellow believer so that we can share our burdens and our joys and grow together. So when the going gets tough don't be a stoic. When the going gets tough and the last thing you want to do is to go to the Bible study, to the prayer meeting or to, to church and meet people well, don't listen to your thoughts. God wants you to be with, your, with his people. That is where God wants you to be, to be encouraged and walk with him. But what does this pilgrim say to, to the struggling one? Does the all-powerful God see? Indeed, God sees. Verses 3 and 4 states it. It says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
God watches every footstep that you make. He is never caught napping. He is never caught losing focus. He is constantly watching over his children. He is very unlike our fathers, is he? Our fathers, we can escape their attention for a while, but that's not the same with God. We cannot hide anything from him. Well, at first that is something very terrifying. I don't know for you, but it is very terrifying for me. Because, well, there are things that I thought even today, between the time I got up and coming to church here, that I'd rather God not know about. But yet he knows about them. He knows our thoughts. He knows the secret thoughts that we have, even in the darkest night. But it is also reassuring. It is reassuring because it makes our confession of sins so much easier. If God knows everything already, well, I don't have to hide anything from him because he knows. God doesn't want to humiliate us. He's not asking us to repent and confess our sins in order to humiliate us. No, he does that because he wants us to, he doesn't want us to become stubborn like Israel. He doesn't want us to be hard-hearted. He doesn't want us to be ungrateful and, and remain rebel in rebellion against him. So, okay, verses 3 and 4 say that God says every, sees everything. He's all-powerful. He sees everything. But we still go through our struggles. Does that mean that God doesn't understand? Or is he just a distant God looking, from, looking down at us from his ivory tower? No, God does understand us. And this is what verses 5 and 6 point to. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. God isn't in his heavenly palace uh, letting us get on with things. In fact, he is your shade, the shade of your right hand. Can anyone distance himself from his shadow? I don't know if you've tried. I, know, I remember trying when I was a child. I never managed. It is impossible to put something between me and my shadow. It is impossible to place something between me and God, between you and God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither, life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither presence nor future, nor any, any powers, etc. God, God is close to us, so close to us, that as our shadow is to ourselves. And he understands us fully, because he is our creator, because he is our saviour, he knows us. He knows our secret thoughts, our weaknesses. And he understands us because of Jesus Christ. Because in him, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. But God understands us also because he is also in us. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And we are sealed in God by the Holy Spirit. So if God is all-powerful, if he sees everything, if he understands us, 
but he still doesn't do anything about it. Does that mean he doesn't care? Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Surely God cares. For sure God cares. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. God will take care of you, but his agenda is different to ours. We may be trying to think about what we're going to put on the table today. We may be thinking of a bill that we need to pay. We're wondering how we're going to go through this week with the pain that we go, we, we have to face. But God's agenda is different. God is bringing people to heaven. That is his agenda. God is preparing his people for an eternity with him. He's preparing his children to reach the new Jerusalem, the celestial city. It's true those difficulties that we face on a daily basis are real, they're painful, but God's agenda is much more long-sighted. And we couldn't do this journey because of the curse of sin. We were under wrath, we were under condemnation, weren't we? But God sent his son to bear in himself the wrath that we deserve, to cover for our shame, to bear our guilt, so that we may be reconciled to him. So does God care? Certainly. Look to Jesus. Look at what he's done. What more evidence do you need? And then look also at this verse. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. As we close, as we come to a close, there is one last thing I'd like to point out in this psalm. We are often very quick, or too quick, to put ourselves at the center. It's all about me. That's what the world wants us to believe. But is it? Is it really all about me? We went through this psalm, and I've been looking at it as, yeah, it's our walk as a pilgrim. I'm more and more convinced that this psalm was first of all Jesus' companion, particularly on his last day as he journeyed from Mount of Olives to Golgotha. As he was about to face the biggest task, as he lifted up his eyes to Golgotha, where, where did his help come from? The disciples were of no help. They couldn't even watch and pray with him in Gethsemane and they fell asleep but when they fell asleep Jesus could have taken encouragement from that psalm this psalm would have lifted his spirits up because though his disciples have slumbered the one who watches over him neither sleeps nor slumbers and when Judas and the soldiers came in the middle of the night to take him away when the disciples fled and ran away when Peter who was so boastful and said I'll never forsake you ended up denying him three times and as Jesus faced God's wrath for our sake as he experienced his father's 
face turning away from him on the cross as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could take encouragement from that psalm. That even then, despite all appearances, the father would remain close to him, as close as the shadow to his arm. And as Jesus faced death, as he faced the punishment for my sin, for our sin, this psalm would have reassured him that God would care for him. Because the last words that Jesus says on the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. God was going to watch over his go coming and his going both now and forevermore. This psalm was first intended, I believe, for Jesus Christ. Because without his going, without him climbing the hill to Golgotha, we would never be on the journey to the new Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that you have spoken to the prophets of old in order to encourage Jesus Christ throughout his walk. When he was seeking help, his help didn't come from his disciples, he didn't come from men, he came from you, from your word. And we thank you that we can take the same encouragement for our life and for our daily walk. And so we pray that you'll help us walk with you faithfully, facing the trials, knowing that you are close to us, that you understand our needs, and that you care for us.